Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry sky and see your hand in time and mind to lead me through the night. Today I'm going to start um, a f- part of a four-week sermon series. Uh, don't worry, I'm not speaking all four weeks. Um, but I would love to have to that in the way that this has been orchestrated. That really today is also part three of Brother Huizar's messages from last weekend. So we're going to start. We're going to look into um, the book of Second Timothy, chapter three. And these uh, verses of scriptures I'm going to read are going to be the context of the next four weeks of messages entitled God Conductors. I'm going to read these passages and then I'll I'll focus in on the exact verses that are going to be for today's message. So chapter 3 verse 1 says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They'll slander others, have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray friends, be reckless, puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They're the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they're never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. Evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But... You must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. I'm going to talk about faithful teachings today, and so my text really is drawn from verses 7 13 and 14. So I'd like to repeat those for you to get them more clear in our minds. Verse 7 says, Such women are forever following new teachings, but they're never able to understand the truth. Evil people, imposters will flourish, they'll deceive others, and they themselves will be deceived. Remain faithful to the things you have been taught, for you know they are true. You can trust those who taught you. If we remain faithful, to the things we've been taught, we can encapsulate that godly power that Paul is telling Timothy about instead of rejecting it. And we can use godly wisdom to decipher new teachings that are not the faithful teachings of the truth. We can be godly conductors by applying those faithful teachings we have been taught. One thing I noticed when I moved out here from the Midwest, the wonderful, one thing I appreciate about the Pacific Northwest, perhaps in this area, is that there is a different sales approach out here. If you've traveled to other parts of the U.S., maybe you've noticed this yourself, but when I walk into a place, if you walk into maybe a small retail store, or maybe you're going in to even buy a a larger purchase, a car, or looking for a realtor, they have a, a very 
uh, I would like to call it a subtle approach. Um, uh, it's not very pushy. It's, it's very let you kind of do what you want, you kind of figure it out, I'm here for questions. Um, if they are pushy, I would say it, it's a very minute. I, I have to really pick up on, on the pushiness. They're very good at this. Um, and that is not the way it is in the Midwest, okay? <laughs> They're much more in your face, much more aggressive, and so my personality type, I have learned to appreciate this. It, 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 can, um, it can sneak up on you if you're not careful. But they're typically very informative. And um, an experience, I, I feel like something that has maybe come up uh, recently in the Northwest, maybe it's just been my exposure and my family's exposure to it, um, but there are these folks that really try to get you into, um, well, I don't really know what it's called because they won't tell me, but they really want me to meet their mentors. They have these mentors that they really appreciate and they have given them everything and they just, they want you to meet the mentors. You guys ever heard of this? You know what I'm talking about? A little bit? Okay, well, I'm going to share my experience so that you can know if you meet these folks, they're, they're out there. So uh, my husband and I were walking through an Ikea on a weekend, and uh, if you've ever been to Ikea on a weekend, God bless you. Um, half the city is there. All of the colleges are there all at once. Um, and it's a massive building, but you, you feel like you're in a small city crammed with people. And uh, Brad and I got separated. We're kind of looking at, at various things. And a woman approaches me, seems about my age, friendly, um, and strikes up a conversation, pays me a compliment. First thing she does is pays me a compliment. Man, that'll get me talking. That's right. And so um, we hit it off. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is wonderful. We talk for like 20, 30 minutes. She's going on and on. And you know how much we talk about making friends and building biblical conversations. And I said, Jesus, you sent me my best friend. This is amazing. I am so excited. And so we're kind of wrapping up. I found out, you know, some things about her and surprisingly enough, she lived further north like I did. We're not too far away from each other. Um, moved to Seattle about the same time that I did. Very peculiar, but great commonality. So excited. And I was like, man, I don't want to be that weirdo that asked for her number, but like, this is a really good conversation. I didn't want to walk away. And I'm like, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a hold of this opportunity. I'm going to get her number. So I asked. I was the one. I said, you know what? Can we stay in contact? I'd love to get coffee with you or sometime. She thought that was wonderful. So we exchanged information. And would you know, she texted me about a week later, and we met up for coffee. So I get there, and she said, I'd like to buy your coffee. Is that okay? Okay. That makes for a good friend. All right, I'll let you buy my coffee. That's okay. Not too much of an investment where I feel guilty, but you can buy my coffee. And so we sit down, and as the conversation's going, she's a very passionate person, very motivated person, and she starts asking me questions like, so what's your five-year plan? Okay. So do you, have, do you have people in your life that you are accountable to? Do you have mentors that really drive you? I moved here for these mentors. Okay. And then she asked me how much debt I had. And I thought... I don't know if this is the friendship that I thought it was. <laughs> so, you know, I told her I was a 30-year-old millionaire. I had no worries whatsoever, and I shut it down. <laughs> that was that. <laughs> All my 
my spidey senses started going off. You know, I just, I never quite got the full sales pitch. I think I, I wasn't given the right answers. I started, you know, like kind of cringing and, yeah, I don't know, I got very uncomfortable. And so we, we ended, we, we probably sat there for about an hour talking and I just walked away kind of like, well, that was a sales pitch. I got totally misled. I thought I was going to have a friend. I thought we were going to hit it off. And I just, it was, it was a disappointment. Maybe that exact situation hasn't happened to you, but maybe you've been in a similar situation and you thought, I was totally misled. This is not what I thought it was. I got so far down, and then when it came to it, it was something different than I thought it was, right? And it doesn't really feel that great. When I walked away, I kind of felt like, should I feel silly? I can't even feel a little embarrassed. I hope no one overheard our conversation because I feel like this chick's getting suckered over here and she don't even know it. <laughs> you know? You just kind of feel like, ugh, that, that seems embarrassing is the word that I, I certainly applied to the situation. And maybe we would say it was deceived. I was deceived. And we could be deceived or maybe misled in some areas and maybe it gets us in some not-so-great situations. You have a coffee for a longer period of time than you'd care for. Maybe you have a poor restaurant choice and you go somewhere that's not that great. Maybe it's a larger investment. Maybe that salesman at the car shop really does talk you into something that was not what you thought it was. So we can be misled and, and from a practical sense, and maybe that gets us into some sticky situations, but what if we're deceived from a spiritual sense? What if we start hearing some new ideas, some new truths that, that sounds pretty good when I first hear it. That sounds like something I want to latch on to. 2 Timothy 2.13, evil people and imposters will flourish in the last days. They'll deceive others and will themselves be deceived. That in word flourish means they're going to increase. They're going to be overpopulated. There's going to be more of them. Not only that, they're going to be great at deceiving themselves and deceiving others. And verse 7 says that society will be vulnerable. We're going to be vulnerable, can be vulnerable to these new teachings if we don't understand the truth. Certainly I would say I have a personality that likes to hear new ideas, new thoughts. Certainly when I hear someone come and minister or I hear a pastor minister, I thought, oh, I never thought of that that way before. I like hearing something new and fresh. But what if it's not truth? Deceit can be a powerful tool if we're really not paying attention, if we're not keeping on our toes and those new thoughts, new ideas creep in and we think, man, that's genius. Why did I never think of that before? In Mark chapter 7, Jesus is speaking and he tells the crowd that food is not really what defiles us. It passes through our body and that's it. So he, he tells us what really defiles us in verse 20. It is what comes from inside you that defiles you. From within come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit. All these things come from within. They are what defile you. Right in the middle of all those things, there's that word deceit again. 
And Jesus says that it comes from within. Now, when I think of deceit, I even used it in my story. I've been deceived. It's something that has happened to me. I don't think of it as I've started the deceit, right? That's, that's not how we think of it. And from a practical sense, you know, I, I can stop paying attention. I bought something, sounded too good to be true. I get home, glass shatters. And I think, man, that person got the best of me. I, I didn't critically think about that very well. But from a spiritual sense, I've also let my guard down. And I've allowed this, this disconnect to occur with the Holy Spirit, with God. And deceit is within. If the scripture says, Jesus says, deceit within, is from within, it's already in my heart. And if I'm not careful, then there's already something there that I'm waiting for someone or something to validate that, to affirm what is already there. If I let my guard down, Scripture says, I have a shield of faith, I have a helmet of salvation, a sword of truth. If I'm not prepared and guarded and ready to fight against that deceit, it can make complete sense to me. And I don't even know it's not truth. In my my teenage years and certainly um, through my early 20s, I watched some of my my own um, leaders in my life, some of my peers, And they started choosing different paths from truth, different paths from what we grew up in knowing faithful teachings of the word. But I saw them and and watched them, and transitions were, were gradual. Things happened on the inside first, and application happened on the outside, or actions happened after the fact. Deceit can be allowed to start in our hearts early on, and grow and grow, and then we can take action if we're not careful. The Holy Spirit, the, his wisdom, the Holy Spirit's wisdom can become so much quieter when I, I miss a day of prayer or I miss a week of prayer if it builds up to that. And somehow I notice my sense of urgency isn't quite so urgent when I miss a few services and that community and that presence that we feel in this place that God fills the sanctuary through worship and praise. And it's amazing to me how that can quiet down when I I miss things like that and I stop paying attention. We've been talking so much about managing our flesh. I feel like that's also been a theme uh, these last, uh, prior to the Vizars coming, but managing our flesh, stifling our humanity to push towards spiritual development. And while we have to push against the flesh, the enemy, he's ready to take advantage of those situations. He's ready to take advantage that when the flesh wins, that he can slip in. And when we let our guard down, that's in the times when the enemy can certainly take advantage. When we moved here from St. Louis, um, I... I had still have some very close friends in that area, and I've been able to keep in contact with with some of them, but others. There's an obvious distance. St. Louis is very, very far away from here. Um, And so, you know, I I stopped inquiring. I stopped texting them. I, I wasn't able to reach out to them. And so, you know, I was distracted with other things. I'm here making new friends. I was able, I traveled for work for quite a bit, so I'd go back to St. Louis and 
try to make time to meet people and see my friends and keep that relationship going. But in truth, there were some folks that I was more intentional about seeing than I was about other folks being intentional about seeing. And sometimes I think we can do this with God. We stop learning about him. Maybe we stop inquiring about him. We stop pursuing that friendship Sometimes accidentally. Sometimes it does. Life happens. Things build up. I miss a day here. I miss a day there. And it it happens accidentally. But if we're not careful, it can be more intentional. And we need to have our guard up to pay attention so that it's not, it is intentional when we're pursuing a relationship with Christ. In Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar has this incredible dream. No one can interpret it. He's trying to get his advisors to interpret it. And finally, he calls on Daniel, and Daniel can interpret it. And he says, man, your majesty, I really wish this dream didn't apply to you. It's so terrible. I'm so sorry, but it doesn't apply, or it does apply to you, and and this is what's going to happen. He says in 425, you'll be driven from human society. You'll live in the field with the wild animals You'll eat grass like a cow. You'll be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. King, please accept my advice. Stop sinning. Do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Now, I really wish that scripture immediately said something of how King Nebuchadnezzar reacted in that moment. It pretty much goes into the next verse that says, all this does come to pass in the next 12 months for King Nebuchadnezzar. But you'd think he'd respond and be like, that sounds terrible. I'm not doing that. You know, I'll admit he's now. Or maybe, no, that's crazy. That's not really what that dream means. No kind of processing there. We, we don't get that part of the story, but it does happen to him. In fact, the Lord gives him a whole year. After that interpretation of the dream, a whole year later, King Nebuchadnezzar is walking around saying, look how awesome I am. Look what I've built. And God's like, yeah, that's it. Have a good day. You're out of human to in, cast out. You lost everything. That's it. How many of you heard that story in Sunday school? Oh, there are some. Okay. I do not remember the story in Sunday school, and I was very disappointed. Uh, Maybe more applicable to teenagers than kids. Maybe it's a little scary for kids. I don't know. But what an incredible story to hear that Nebuchadnezzar had to go through this time of suffering before he learned something new about God. He He didn't know that God orchestrated everything and was in control of everything at the time of this dream. He had not admitted that to himself. He did not admit that to Daniel or to God. And so he had to go through a seven-year trial period to where he was cast out. And I'd love to think, if I were Nebuchadnezzar, and somebody literally told me this, then it happens, okay? I'll let it happen. Maybe I'll ask today. I'm like, okay, God. You're it, okay? I get it. You're in control. This really did happen to me, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to admit it so I can get my kingdoms back, and I don't have to spend all this time. But he didn't. 
He spent a significant amount of time struggling with the fact that God was in control of his life. Maybe we don't get a direct dream interpretation of something like that that's going to happen in our lives, but we certainly are stubborn in our humanity. And I, I get stubborn to say, oh, I don't want to learn anything new, God. I'm cool where I am. I'm right here. I don't learning anything new means like I'm gonna have to change or like be pushed in my personality and grow, and that's that's hard. That's hard to change who you are and let God control. I have to learn. There is a learning process. It's not just facts, knowledge. Certainly, it's amazing that we have scripture. We can know things about God. And facts are awesome. They give me a a basis, a starting point. But so does an incredible resume. I look at a resume when I'm going to hire someone. I look at where they've been, their professional accomplishments, their achievements. Maybe I look at their special skill sets and I think, oh, this is a great person. But I don't really know them. I don't know if they've done all these things. Maybe I can check some references. That might be good. But until I actually employ them and see some of those things carried out, can I really experience and have a relationship maybe with that person to understand who they are? If I looked at Jesus' resume, and under special skill sets, he listed merciful, faithful, always on time, miracle worker, Do I really know those things about him until I've employed him in my life? Scripture tells me that those things are true about him. I certainly have stories to tell, but how about a deeper commitment with him that shows me that he really is faithful, that he really is merciful, that he really does stick around when the work gets challenging and is hard and he's not going to leave me or forsake me. And when I have a sickness in my body, then he is the one that performs a miraculous healing. I have to allow Christ into my life to experience those things more than it just being a fact, a bit of knowledge that I can share. I know guarding against deceit isn't easy, But I know I have to be prepared. And experiencing Christ is challenging because I know it's going to stretch me. But how can I achieve these things on my humanity alone? I can't. 2 Timothy 3.14 Remain faithful to the things you have been taught, for you know they are true, and you know you can trust those who taught you. I want to reference some stories in the books of Acts. In the book of Acts, a couple of chapters. There are many stories, but I'm going to pick on a few for our examples. But I know these to be true and faithful teachings of spirit-filled individuals. In chapter 9, Saul is stricken with blindness on his road to Damascus. God gets his attention, gives him some blindness, some temporary blindness to get his attention. And he's staying in Damascus when the Lord contacts a man named Ananias. And the Lord speaks to Ananias in a vision. And verse 10 says, he calls to him, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replies. 
The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in, laying hands on him so he can see again. And Ananias counters, but Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. He's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. And the Lord said, go. Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias goes and finds Saul. He lays his hands on him and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so you can regain your sight, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales falls from Saul's eyes and he regains his sight. He gets up, was baptized, eats some food, regains his strength. What I find interesting in this in the very first verse is that the Lord says, Ananias. And Ananias says, yes, Lord. If someone calls my name and I don't know who they are, I don't then call them by their name. If I don't recognize their name, I say, yeah, who is that? Ananias knew it was the Lord speaking to him and responded in kind, waiting for the Lord's instructions to him. I know further that he has a a good relationship with the Lord because then he starts to have a conversation. All right, Lord, I hear you speaking. I hear what you say, but um, I have some concerns. (laughs) That's that's more of a, right? If you have a new boss coming in, they give you some instructions. You might be a little more hesitant to counter what they're telling you versus I've worked for the same boss for eight years. And so if she's going to tell me something, I probably can say, well, I have some concerns. That's the relationship that was shown here through Ananias because Ananias was already in tune with the spirit. He's already talking to the Lord, having a relationship with the Lord that not only is he then listening, but God uses him to perform a miracle in Saul. That's a different kind of relationship than just knowing someone for the first time. That's a unique and strengthened relationship that Ananias is able to witness to Paul, let the Holy Spirit work through him. And I have the ability to have access to the same power, the same transcendent power of the Holy Spirit if I can dedicate the time to allow the Spirit to work in me. I have a wonderful example with Ananias that if I could hear, if I, if I stay in tune with that Holy Spirit, that I can hear the voice of the Lord and hear the Holy Spirit's guiding that says, that's deceit, Chelsea. Stay away from that. That's, that's, that's not truth. Stay away from that. And there is a more than just my spidey sense going off, but the Holy Spirit's direct prodding to say, that's not of me. Stay over here. Hey, that's not of me. That sounds good. But stay over here. This is my truth. You know what is truth because you have followed the faithful teachings of my word. The first time, if you receive the holy gift of the Holy Spirit, the first time is an incredible experience. One you don't often forget because it is so impactful. But I can't just rely on the first time that I received the Holy Spirit to guide me and talk to me if I don't continue to facilitate 
that relationship. Invite the Spirit to work through me through worship and praise and speaking into my life. I have to facilitate a relationship, not just receive it the first time and think I'm good to go, but having that communion and that ability to speak with the Lord consistently and not not just that but hear back from him hear him back in clarity and in in distinct um, prodding if you will acts chapter 13 there are prophets and teachers in the church of antioch and these men are worshiping and praying and fasting and acts 13 2 says that the holy spirit speaks to them And says, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting, more prayer, the the men laid their hands on Saul and Barnabas and sent them out on their way. And they were sent by the Holy Spirit. This is an example of the believers acting on their spirit-filled faith. These believers were filled with the Holy Spirit back in chapter 11. You can read it on your own time. It's a really awesome story. But this was a church full of believers. They were practicing in the Holy Spirit. This wasn't the first time. This wasn't the only time. But Saul and Barnabas had been at this church for over a year ministering. And they were continuing to practice their worship and praise. And the Holy Spirit spoke through them. Ongoing communion with the Holy Spirit gives us clarity So Saul and Barnabas leave the church of Antioch. They head over to Cyprus. Ananias was told by the Lord that Saul would minister to great leaders and kings, and so they're invited to speak to the governor. Of course, it's not going to be an easy sell. The governor has a sorcerer with him. So when they get there, the sorcerer, of course, doesn't want the message and the word of God to be heard by the governor, and he's making a commotion. And in chapter 13, verse 9, it says, Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye, and he said, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Mist and darkness fall over the man's eyes. He's groping around, trying to figure out, having someone help him. And the governor saw what had happened, and he became a believer, for he was astonished at this teaching of the Lord. Saul was filled. That first verse says Saul was filled. We already saw in chapter 9 where Ananias went to him so that Paul could receive the Holy Spirit. And this wasn't like a five-minute thing between five chapters. We already know he was spent some time in Antioch. He'd been ministering in various places. But he had a a communion with the Spirit. He had a, a relationship with the Spirit. He didn't all of a sudden receive the Holy Spirit and then rebuke the sorcerer. Okay, This was a development over time of what his relationship with the Holy Spirit had been. Saul facilitated the Holy Spirit allowed the spirit to work within him for incredible power so the governor could see a miracle. Now, the governor had the sorcerer around, so maybe he was already inclined to see these some supernatural things or was interested in some supernatural things. And so that act, Saul was confident in his hearing of the Holy Spirit and what was going to happen. 
maybe this is just me, but sometimes if I don't spend enough time and I'm not praying consistently or I have a gap in time where I'm not communing with the, with the Spirit or in prayer and I feel the Spirit prodding, but I'm not really sure. And I start to question. I'm like, is that me or is that the Holy Spirit? What I do find is that when that prayer is consistent, when I'm worshiping in the Holy Spirit consistently, I recognize the voice so much clearer. There's no doubt. My humanity is pushed down. My flesh is pushed down. The Chelsea thoughts are pushed down. And I can hear the voice of the Lord and the Holy Spirit, and it's clear. That was what Saul's experience, is that he was in communion with the Holy Spirit and could recognize that this miracle needed to happen. The sorcerer, of course, needed to be stopped, but then the governor sees the results of that miracle and becomes a believer. How can I facilitate the Holy Spirit like Paul did? Am I seeking after the Holy Spirit on a continual basis? To say it's important seems too small. <laughs> it sounds like we would almost pass that over, but it's, it's so essential, it's imperative, so valuable to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us consistently. Getting, we've heard a lot, getting to a place of prayer daily, but what about getting to a point of praying in the Holy Spirit daily? That's my goal, is to get to that point daily. Give me a sense of urgency Lord, for the faithful gift you have given me to have the Holy Spirit living inside of me and being utilized. That the Holy Spirit can recognize the deceit and alert my flesh so that I'm on guard and that I'm prepared and that I'm aware. Lord, give me an awareness of of false teachings and truths that I may not recognize in my flesh because I'm That's not what my flesh certainly doesn't want to push me away from, but the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit wants to guide me into a closer relationship with him and keep me in that path of truth. Paul, I should say Saul, when he was on the road to Damascus, the Lord intervenes in his life. His name is changed to Paul, and he sacrifices every, everything who he was. His reputation went from persecutor to believer. In fact, even after he converts, the Lord told Ananias, I'm going to show Paul how much he will suffer for my name's sake. When's the last time I sacrificed something to deepen my commitment and my relationship with God. Maybe you think of sacrificing as food, fasting, think of food, and we think that's a denial of my humanity, certainly a step in the right direction. But something I find much more valuable, maybe you do too, is my time. My time, I don't get that back. Maybe I justify in my humanity that my, my food can be um, made up the next meal, but my time is never made up. How can I sacrifice more of my time so that my Savior can be filled with that time instead of something that I want to do? How much more beneficial is it, you've all recognized it here today, to be here instead of somewhere else at a work event or a social event? 
How much more beneficial is it to sacrifice maybe an event, maybe it's just my free time, but to join a faith group and be more connected to fellow believers? I love what Tom said, that individuals need a body of people to believe in them, to reaffirm them, to know that they're valuable. And certainly we want to do that for each other, but we do that with the influence of the Holy Spirit and God's love of each of us. How much more beneficial is it to sacrifice maybe my money for eating out three times a week instead of just instead and instead giving it to missions? You think Paul regretted suppressing and rejecting his humanity for the things that the Spirit was able to do through him? Think of, if you know any of the stories, I've shared some of the amazing things that Paul was able to do through the Spirit today, but there are many more stories. And I wonder if Saul will, Paul was up to that at the beginning, thinking of what he was going to give up. But then he got to the other side of it. And when we get to the other side of it, you think, why haven't I been doing this the whole time? Why didn't I figure this out sooner? I almost wonder if Nebuchadnezzar thought the same thing after seven years. He had to go through that time. He did. Because if, if he didn't, then he would have admitted it sooner and it had been over sooner. Maybe he needed seven years to process who was really in control. But once I get to the other side, and I've made it through, and I've allowed the Spirit to work in me, how much more beneficial is it to sacrifice my humanity and give that to Christ? How much more is it worth it to be a God conductor of his power to show his glory and majesty to those who aren't yet believers? The sacrifice is worth it because he gets the glory, not us. Will you stand with me today? As I quoted scriptures in the beginning, it says, in the last days, perilous times are going to come. People will love themselves and their money. They're going to disobey their parents, be ungrateful. Society will be cruel, unloving. Imposters will flourish. Deceit will run rampant. New truths will be discovered. And true knowledge will be elusive. But the book of Acts also says, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit upon all people. Sons and daughters will prophesy, young men will see visions, and old men will dream dreams. In the last days, God will pour out his spirit on men and women alike, and they will prophesy. The Holy Spirit isn't going anywhere in these last days. His power, his authority aren't leaving us to figure it all out on our own. He isn't leaving us to decipher what's truth, what is deceit. He is here to help us. He isn't going to abandon us to a cruel society without an embrace of love, compassion that he has for us. We determine how much we want of that. He's ready. He's available. He wants to help us in every step of the way. But we have to be ready to acknowledge our need and invite his spirit to direct us. He's given us the knowledge through scripture. He's given us references, testimonies of what his power can do. But we we choose to experience him. He wants us to be his conductors. He wants us to be available to use his power for incredible signs and incredible wonders 
to project his glory in these last days. He wants us to rely on that faithful promise of the Holy Spirit that we know to be truth because it's going to impact the city of Everett. I'm going to open these altars this morning. If you want to pray against protection of your family for that deceit, the Holy Spirit is here to guide you. The Holy Spirit is here. If you've not received the Holy Spirit for the first time, he's here to give you that too. Scripture says we must repent and he will give us the gift of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in a brand new heavenly language. And you can start that journey today. I open this altar today. If you want to pursue the Holy Spirit. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series or join us online at livingfaithministries.church.